Welcome to Clock Out, the Vicarious Life Podcast. This is for the mavericks of the world who are embracing freedom and discovering purpose. Need a surge of inspiration? You're in the right place. I'm your host, Tracy Miller, a free-spirited, joy-seeking entrepreneur who is on a mission to find like-minded, open-hearted freebirds to share their stories of triumph, struggle, and inspiration. Until you're ready for your own adventure, let's clock out and live vicariously through others who have blazed the trail. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Clock Out, the Vicarious Life. Today, as always, I'm super excited because I get the opportunity to talk to Jay Jeremo. He is the owner of Hey Honey, which is a specialty honey producer and distributor. His store has been, or his story has been a wild ride, and we're going to hear all about it. Thank you so much, Jay, for being here. Sure, thanks for the intro. Yeah, you betcha. So you are the owner of Hey Honey. What is Hey Honey, and what makes it special? Tell me all about your business. So, so um, at this point, it's uh, a specialty grower and distributor of honey from three different locations. Uh, used to be four, but uh, I had to scale back a little bit. Um, I grow clover and wildflower honey uh, in Michigan, uh, about maybe 14 or 15 different flower types in Hawaii and uh, a special uh, sunflower blend in uh, Turkey. I got my, yeah, I got my start. um, Actually, uh, I worked in, I moved from Michigan to Hollywood. I I thought I wanted to be a movie producer until I uh, got a taste of um, California personality. And after two years, I realized that place wasn't for me. And I moved to, uh, no offense to uh, California. It just, it it just, it didn't roll with me that well. Sure. And then uh, it is. And uh, I didn't want to come all the way back home. So I moved to Chicago and worked in marketing for about 12 years. And all the whole time I was there, I was really kind of dissatisfied uh, with my growth and my career, I, I was just kind of like, um, floundering. Mm. I didn't really feel connected to my career. And then 2008 happens. Um, it wiped out all of my equity. And I, a couple of years after that, moving back home, um, into my grandmother's basement, I was kind of homeless for a little while. Um, it was a real, it was a real blow to the ego. Somebody who studied finance and worked in, uh, uh, arbitrage. It was, you know, um, it was kind of an intellectual, um, and emotional, um, just kind of one, two punch. Sure. And I eventually got picked by, a, actually I got the job with uh, the bank of New York in, uh, right before I left Chicago and, same kind of deal. I wasn't, I was, I just took a job to have a job. Mm. And then after about a year, I had some vacation time and I took a tour of the state back uh, tour of Michigan and stopped in to see a cousin who as children, we spent, um, we'd spend weekends um, there and with, with an aunt up in uh, this central part of the state. And all of the family members up there uh, were beekeepers. 
mm. um, both personal and commercial beekeepers. But they were uh, sort of a religious lot, and they didn't they didn't sell on on a direct or a grand scale. And my cousin had said to me he had recently gotten married, and he had some uh, his wife had created some flavors. He just kind of suggested if I wanted to learn the craft, I could, and whatever we grew, uh, I could sell down in my neck of the woods, which is closer to Detroit. Mm-hmm. And I'll kind of expedite this a little. Um, I just had a flair for it in that um, I was selling direct to customers. And when I was in Chicago and selling direct mail printing, um, it was hard enough to find clients. It was a very, very and and we worked well together. The people I worked for would kind of interject their ideas and their their plans for each sale, and very often it would uh, it would mess up the deal. It would get in the way of my relationship or my sale, and it. It was real tough to make a living. And then when I started selling honey, um, I could form direct relationships with people uh, immediately. Interesting. How, and the flavor, how so? What was the difference? With the the difference is that I didn't have a boss. Uh-huh. And I didn't have to purchase or uh, squeeze them to buy more. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have secondary um, um yeah, motivation. And if they were interested in what I had, uh, they they purchase it. If they wouldn't, they move on to find somebody else. Um, and the sales cycle was very fast, which I really loved. Selling direct mail could take you know it could take you a year to develop a relationship with a client. Uh-huh. And I had mentioned we had two flavors, and then very quickly I had people suggesting other flavors and suggesting what they could be used on, and I just kind of adopted that. Could you talk on that just really quick on the flavors? I know nothing about honey. I know that raw is healthier, um, processed is not, you know, you're not supposed to nuke it. It kills that. That's, That's the extent of my knowledge. How do flavors, how does that work? That's uh, it's we bring this up. I have this conversation pretty much every day. Mm-hmm. Um, processing isn't necessarily the bad word because you can filter the wax out of honey and it's still technically raw. Is pasteurizing is what kills all the enzymes. That's you know heating it to over 141 degrees and agitating it for a few hours. Then you break up all the enzymes and and the pollens. But um, steeping different fruits into it at a low temperature. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes on the flavor of that fruit. And I've kind of developed my own methodology on how to do that because each fruit, the process and the recipe is a little different. But within a matter of about, I don't know, a year, year and a half, two flavors grew into 20. And then a couple years after that is when I started um, expanding outwards and realize, you know, my, what we grow in Michigan is not the only game in the book. There are honeys that taste completely different based on the flower type. And I like exotic things. So I started doing reading about uh, different flowers and different honey types in different parts of the world. 
and I love traveling. So I just started buying a bunch of plane tickets, flying <laughs> to unusual parts of the world, and then uh, forming my own uh, associations and my own deals with independent beekeepers uh, around the world. And just said, look, we can do we can do a couple different things. Um, you could wholesale it to me, but that's not always the best deal for everybody. Sometimes what makes sense is to underwrite a beekeeper and say, look, you've got 2,000 hives right now. What if I buy you another 500? Mm. And you can use them however you want, but uh, I'd like to pick the sites where you put them, like what type of flowers you, um, um, you raise honey with, um, as long as you have access to them. So you're so, uh, so yeah, go ahead. The, the flowers that the bees are are consuming, I guess is that's probably not the right word. That is what's causing a different flavor as well. Totally yeah. separate. Interesting. Yeah. So I've got just on the. I just sell off of the table. It's just the the honey booth at uh, a lot of farmers markets, and we we gone online huh. a few years ago. But um, there's different gradients. There's just the. Um, clover and wildflower, which we do in Michigan, there's there's gobs of that, and then there's, um, I think like thirteen or twelve different um, f- um, fruits that we steep into that, mm-hmm. and then from that it becomes a little more um, exotic. We'll do multi flavor combinations like a, a four pepper chili honey. What? Um, a le- yeah, a lemon and ginger that we steeped for about two years. That's for swordfish and salmon. Um, a peach and amaretto that's really, really sweet, but that's for that's more decadent occasions for like cheesecake and creme brulee. Huh. And then the um, where it really gets interesting, which and they become a more expensive product, is the uh, single pollens that are specialty steeped. Like the the Turkish honey, what we grow right now, the bulk of what we do is uh, sunflower. Mm. And uh, I have I have an interest in design. And the girlfriend and I were we were taking a walk after market one day, and we picked up a uh, uh, she picked up a one of those Lacroix limoncellos uh-huh. in the can, the the yellow ones. Yeah. And we were both, we both appreciate design and we were, we were talking about that for a little bit. And I'm like, you know what? I'll bet you I could make a limoncello honey. Mm-hmm. And we started kicking around ideas of ingredients. And when my batch finally got over, we did a, about a year's long steep of um, vanilla bean and lemon peel. And lo and behold, it tastes exactly like limoncello without the alcohol. And, uh, yeah, it went, uh, people went crazy for it. Um, especially in, like chefs go after it and like anyone who does desserts go after it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the Hawaiian one has been actually the, uh, the variation of flowers in Hawaii has been a real godsend for us just because one that is really taking off. We actually did a beta test on it was, um, Mac, the macadamia nut, we grow that in the South Valley. Mm-hmm. And that kind of has a, uh, like a butterscotch taste to it. But if you steep it for several months, you know, you got to play around with the temperatures and such. But if you steep it with um, raw cinnamon and uh, ice cream bean, mm. I don't know if you've ever had that. I have not. Sounds delicious. It looks like a giant 
uh, green bean, but the flesh inside it is white and pulpy, and it tastes like a combination between vanilla ice cream and cotton candy. And when you steep that with cinnamon and coconut into macadamia nut honey, you end up with um, something that tastes akin to a parfait. Wow. So uh, I've had folks tell me to put what I do in stores. And honestly, Tracy, I don't think I'll ever do it. Um, Just because... (sighs) Well, the thing with uh, selling food in the store is you can move a lot of product, uh-huh. but you chop out a huge chunk of your margin. How so? Well, you have to, if you sell direct to a store, you're going to be between 30 and 35%. They're going to take off the top because they have uh-huh. to make their money. Okay. But if you're going to go into a larger, like a block of stores, like uh, you're in... Um, you're out west. I'm trying. I don't know if the grocery stores. Uh, uh, a big is a chain. Big okay, yeah, we like we like Safeway. They have that in California too. If you were going to sell into a Safeway, you'd have to work one of, with one of their distributors. They're okay. not actually growers. They're people who just buy up big blocks of food and food products and put it in all those stores. Okay. So you can count on letting go of fifty percent mm-hmm. of your margin. Okay. And honey is a honey is a premium item. At least that's the way I look at it. Um, I would rather develop my own customer base slowly and sell direct and and keep the money because it's not uh, it's not something that I can go out and dilute and make more of. Sure, sure. there's a set volume per year. Right. Um, so I'm sorry if I run out of the mouth. That's the no, it's that's a- the overall scope of the growth of the company. No, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, this is something that I take kind of for granted. I, I want honey. I run to the store and there's honey and I don't, without understanding and knowing the differences, I don't, I didn't know even that there's different flowers. I didn't know that they even made flavored honey, but that makes sense. Cause I wouldn't, I haven't seen it in the store cause you don't sell it there. So who, you said chefs, you said people that are, you know, baking, making desserts. What are other types of clients, customers of yours that have this interest to buy directly? Well, this is, um, I quickly became a fan of farmer's markets. That's where I do the bulk of my business and shows in the winter. I'll travel to different shows. Um, and just, you'll get all manner of people. You'll get a cross section of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, you can, I can bump into chefs, but a lot of, um, I'll get anywhere from housewives to uh, people who experiment, all, all types of people. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't even classify them. I meet, I meet so many different types. Um, but the nice thing about markets is you find people who shop for um, premium food. Mm-hmm. And um, they tend to be regulars. They tend to be much more loyal than they do to a store. Gotcha. Um, and that you know, the best the best thing about selling direct is people talk to one another, mm. and uh, word of mouth is the best. It's for what you get of a good recommendation to other people who are like your existing customers. Mm-hmm. There's no amount of advertising that can compete with it. So, yeah, it's if, if you. It's. Powerful. I mean, I think you're in. Yeah, I think you're in real estate, correct? Exactly. Yep. Word of mouth. Okay. So like how much of that is drives your business? For me right now, a hundred percent. I don't do any advertising. Yeah. Exactly. 
And I'll get ads all the time, Tracy, online, you know, Facebook, Instagram about, you know, lower your ad spend with our product. I'm like, I don't spend anything. I don't need to. (laughs) Well, I mean, but it's possible for for people like you and I, because I don't have to spend money on it. Right, exactly. But that's the... uh, that's the best part about selling direct. The tough thing is I'm not going to be a millionaire overnight doing it. Mm-hmm. But like if I went into stores, I might make the money faster, but I'd be kind of killing myself in order to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's actually exactly where I was going to go next with, yeah. with how, how um, I guess, dynamic your business is. There's a ton of moving parts. There's a ton of physical location, you know, aspects to it. What's your time investment into work time? I, I guess we'll say a weekly or a monthly, whatever it's easier to break it down into. Um, that's a really good question. My The first 10, 11 years of it, mm-hmm. it was really kind of breakneck from May or even mid-April to Christmas mm-hmm. because I do anywhere from six to seven markets a week. And I was doing all of the bottling component myself and the flavoring component labeling all of that on my own. So pretty much there was one day that I wasn't at a market that day was spent uh, bottling for everything that I had coming up that week Mm -hmm. and labeling it. And if I ran out of labels, I had to order more and then cut them. And um, so it it was pretty much every day. And now I'm at a, because I have crews that work for me that do my extraction. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, my splits and my my stacks and all. I don't have the back to do. That's kind of a young man's game sure. um, to lift all that stuff and move all those hives around. But um, now I'm kind of at a point where I, I can pay a bottler to do that because the bottling is the most tedious portion. Okay. I mean that'll take me that'll take me anywhere from two to ten hours to do something for a week, depending on how depleted I am. And by the time I get home, like I am, I'm 47. Mm-hmm. Like I can feel it in my knees and my thighs and my hips. And um, I know that I'll get some years back if I take that section out of it. For sure. Yeah. But, yeah, but long, again, sorry, long way around. In the summer, um, I'll be, I'll do a market. Um, you'll be looking at, three, maybe five hours at the market, depending. Some of them go for eight hours Mm. and then transit to and from. So, you know, it can be a full day. Mm -hmm. It's just not a nine to five full day. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Yeah, but um, actually the selling is the easiest portion of it. If I take the, uh, I I hesitate to even call it work because I just, um, I say ridiculous things. And I, I make people laugh, and if they if they get offended or if they get turned off by my directness, I I just chalk it up to they weren't a customer of mine anyway. Sure. It's like you have to kind of be in the mental club to buy from it. Okay, I like and, that. Um, if you are great, and we get along, and like that's how relationships are formed, and that's how you uh, you build depth in your life. And the people who are you know a little more gruff, and they just ask about price. Yeah. I don't, I don't want those customers. Yeah. Okay. That's where you have to filter them out. That's it. Yeah. I like that. 
So, mm. I mean, because it sounds to me like this is more, this isn't a, a job or a business. This is a little bit of a lifestyle for you as well. I mean, you're talking about strolling along with your girlfriend and you guys are talking about design. I mean, that's, that's quote unquote work when you guys are coming up with new ideas and innovating. And um, so it's, it's a lifestyle. And yeah, I, I agree with that completely. I, I don't work with clients anymore that don't vibe with me that, that don't, yeah, I, I'm open to meeting anybody and everybody, but if I get somebody that we just don't click, it's like, yeah, I, I don't want to spend my time with you. It's the same as, as you, you don't want to hang out at a, at a local farmer's market with somebody that you just don't click with. And the money, it doesn't sound like you've made two comments in this that basically have, have told me that money isn't your motivating factor. Cause you said, yep, I'm not going to become a millionaire overnight. Um, and then also, yeah, I'm not, I don't care if these aren't the right, the right clients. It's, it's fine with me. Well, so what is that motivation? money? I wouldn't say like, I do what, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I love being in business and I, I have made more money by far doing this than I have working for an investment bank or selling print. Any of it. This has been financially the best job I've ever had. Sure. Without sure. a doubt. But um, you cross a certain threshold where you're like, I want to enjoy my day to day. Yes. And I think that you can probably agree that. Yes. Well, our work days don't, they're not what they were back in the seventies and eighties. They're, they're totally different. And that the logic, if you're just going to talk about customer, the customer isn't always right. Mm. Like the people have to, you want to work with people that you enjoy working with. Yeah. And um, I like, I'll have, I'll give you an example. I'll have somebody come up and, you know, if they try the product and it's not for them and they say something, you know, disparaging, I'm like, all right, well, you know, it cost me a, sam- a sample toothpick to figure out I don't need this person around. <laughs> sure. And then, and then, um, and then that, that, quote unquote, difficult portion of your day is over. Yeah, I'm not trying to impress quotas for my boss. I've had jobs where I, I was going to make a very nice commission check and the boss wasn't happy enough with it. Mm. I'm like, I don't want to have that feeling. I don't want to feel like I just sold $300,000 worth of product for you. Yeah. And you want to know why it wasn't 400,000. Mm. That's just, that's, that saps you of your um, of your will to get up in the morning. Sure. Yeah. The, um, the joy behind so, it and having your own expectations of, of what's enough. And, and that can be seasonal too. I know at least for, for me, it can be, you know, I'm really, I'm, I want to really push it during this time of the year, but other times I, I kind of don't want to, and that's my choice. There's nobody over the top of me putting pressure on to, to do more or um, be more available or whatever. It's, it's my choice ultimately. I kind of see the, um, you know, as these generations move on, I see, or I try to talk to, because I sell at the, the Ann Arbor Farmer's Market, which is in the, on the edge of the University of Michigan campus. Mm-hmm. And I see young people all the time, and uh, especially ones who are, um, you know, later in their collegiate career and talking about who they want to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, I get folks who ask for advice. And I try to tell all of them, I'm like, I understand the, what it feels like getting out of college, going to work for somebody. But when, if you can, if you have the stones to do it on your own, mm. do it or do something on the side and build it. Yeah. Because relying on companies is 
It's like relying on the government. Sure. <laughs> you sure. know, yeah. Loyal, loyalty exists within you and your immediate crew. Mm-hmm. And companies have shown the American public time and time again that they, you know, they're great when times are good, but when they're bad, you know, people make cuts. So build your own future. I'm a, I'm a big, big proponent of that. Yeah, and like it may, that. it may take time. It, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I was doing, I made money, but it, it took me almost eight years before I got to a point where I'm like, yeah, I can take the winter off. Sure. But I don't, but like, you know, it, it's an, it's a mental investment. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with that being said, cause you, you know, you said you, you don't take the winters off yet, but if you do you have a plan to, to get there, like a time frame with maybe with age or at a certain volume amount or anything, do you have goals for stepping back or scaling? This comes up every now and again, I throw a big portion of my money into, um, you know, a fidelity account and a, a Roth IRA. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I don't want to worry about like, it'll get to a point where I can, but, or I'm just physically not able to, or, you know, ideally the website will be to a, a place where it just generates enough passive income, but I don't have to, I don't have to physically take the product to the, the masses anymore. Mm-hmm. But, um, a formalized plan. No, I don't. Um, I'm still relatively young that, mm-hmm. um, if I keep being financially intelligent and responsible, Mm-hmm. You know, once I get into my mid sixties, I can be like, eh, I can stay, I can go. Yeah. No, I won't. I mean, I think that's any young person who's thinking about getting into business, um, start saving and start investing like immediately. Yes. I th- that's. I think that's the the most important thing you can do because even if you grow a business without the plan of selling it. Mm-hmm you don't have to necessarily rely on it to pay all your bills. I think that's, I think that's something that enough people in the country don't do is uh, invest for the model. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's the, I preach it to anybody and everybody that, that I can that, you know, invest in anything. And of course I'm in real estate, so I invest in what I know, um, venturing yep. out a little bit into, you know, the different things, IROS, uh, IRAs, that sort of thing, just to have, tax, you know, there's tax incentives and that sort of thing as well. And just to diversify, but, um, it it doesn't, what I really, really love is that it doesn't matter where you're at on your income level. You could be making, um, I don't know, there's a story. One of my guests told me about where there was a janitor that was making, um, it was like 20,000 a year. And he, Uh after an entire lifetime of working as a janitor, he retired and had, he was multimillionaire that, and he was able Uh to give that away because he had saved, uh, whatever 50, I'm making this number up 50% of his, whatever it is Uh that you make, there's always enough for you to save and put into investments. And if there's not enough, it's scaling back on your lifestyle until, because I mean, that's, that's tends to be the chronic problem of, of people in this, in this country is that they spend what they make rather than living within their individual means. Uh Yeah. Yep. It's the, the investing part I think is, is the ability to truly retire and do what, you know, whatever it is that you've been hoping or wanting to, whenever that time is appropriate. I mean, you, you're saying maybe your sixties cause you know, you think, you know, you're young, you're still enjoying what you're doing. 
Um, it's different for everybody, but the ability by starting on day one to start putting money away and investing is, is key to that. When you don't, don't, don't get me wrong. If I can, um, if I can figure out how to make this completely passive by the time I'm 55, you know, I'll, I'll stop. Sure. Sure. <laughs> but you know, that, that's just kind of the benchmark of Gen X is like 65. Yeah, for sure. So if you and also Tracy, you know what? I kind of, I don't know. Um, I, it might be debatable, but like there, there's something to be said of like a lot of people retire because they just don't enjoy what they do mm-hmm. anymore. It's not, it's not the case for everybody, but I'll do it up until the point that I'm not enjoying it anymore. And there's, there's other things I want to do. I just have to, it, it becomes more a conversation around time management as you get older. Sure. Sure. No, I, I love that. There's, there's nothing that I like more than um, people that live through passion, live through joy, live through purpose. And if you're not, if you're doing something just for money or if you're doing something just because you feel like there's nothing else to do or you have to, then, you know, that's, I feel like where people are missing the boat a little bit. And if you're loving what you're doing, then why would you stop? I mean, you're providing an awesome product, which I'm going to order and try. I'm just trying to, I can't wait to see this menu because I'm like, I didn't even know this existed. So order a couple things. I'm like, this will be a good gift giving item. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, you can, you can retire when you stop enjoying what you're doing. Cause right now you're providing a great service, a great product. Um, you're employing people, which how big is your crew? I was going to ask you that approximately how many um, they, they don't, they don't all work for me. Um, they're, they're, um, part of some of them are day laborers and some of them are, um, uh, work for other beekeepers and they just loan them out to me. Um, but like three in Michigan, uh, two in Hawaii and, uh, like four in Turkey. I see. Okay. And Turkey, speaking of Turkey, the, the earthquake over there, were any of your is it anywhere in your area that no no it's it, we're we're about a thousand miles away from there yeah. um actually the the hives are even further away that the earth, earthquake was more in the the center of the country i did i re- reached out to my manager over there and he's okay but yeah um no there um he said there is a lot of devastation that's all over the news over there yeah it's tragic but, um, it's horrible it, that's I don't mean to sound callous, but it's part of, um, it's just part of life. It's like yeah. things, things blow up in your face all the time or, yeah. you know, when you're least expecting it. Yep. Blow and, up in um, your face, crumble under your feet. It happens. It's life. <laughs> yeah. And you just, you just gotta have, I think it's more a question to mindset. Like how do you, okay. Get your head wrapped around the situation and how do you, how do you work around it? Because that's a great thing. I mean, like, if you let if you let adversity, like, you know, kick you in the stomach and, and you just stay aching about it, you're not going to be able to move forward. You have to be able to think your way out of an issue. Sure. And that just be, that just becomes, you know, you get that with age. Like, you know, yep. very, very few things are going to stop you forever. Right. Yeah. You, there's lessons to be learned, and most of them come through pain and suffering, for sure. You get stronger. Yeah. You get more resilient. You learn great, great adaptation. Yeah. That's the beauty, the beauty of life and the, the part of aging that I think we all, um, don't appreciate as much. We don't appreciate aging when we, cause we just think of our physical bodies and don't put enough attention on the wisdom that comes with, with aging. Okay. I would be retired if I had the brain I had now. I have now when I was 21. 
Sure. Yeah. But, you know, t- telling those that you come in contact and teaching them the way is, is mighty kind of you because you'll be passing that brain and that knowledge on to those others to, to do it a little bit differently and maybe be a little Keep your fingers crossed that they're listening, but yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. So when you get there, I guess, when you get to the time of having, you know, time to do anything and everything, although it sounds like you still do that anyway, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? Do you still travel? Where do you go? What takes up your time? That's kind of the nice thing about having sites and exotic locations in that uh, any vacation slash work trip I do, it's tax deductible. Yep. Um, but like in the summer, it's really, I'm really pinched for time, but I have a friend out, he's not out, you're in Montana, correct? Uh Yeah. Um, I've been skiing since I was four and I got a buddy of mine actually who I met at a market, um, is a dentist out in uh, Colorado. I, I go out every year and we ski together for about about four days. Um, I don't ski as much as I'd like to, but it's, it's Michigan and. It's a, uh, hold on one sec here. Oh, you're fine. The joy um, phone calls. Yeah, no, so it's you know, scam calls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Michigan isn't, um, it's a great place to learn to ski, but once you get a taste for what you guys out, have out west, you're willing to wait, or I'm willing to wait um, for most of the winter just to get four good days out in the mountain. Yeah. Um, that's kind of, that's what I conserve my my playtime for that and um the girl and i appreciate stand-up comedy we try to go to a a stand-up show about once a month um we have uh we actually started a podcast uh called um critiqueopolis just to do movie reviews and we paired it with honey by doing a dinner and a movie component where uh we give a honey-based recipe uh after the review and yeah, it's, it's been great for the relationship because I didn't want, um, I think I kind of figured this out as we got together is that we didn't want a stale relationship. We wanted something where we could be engaged with one another Mm -hmm. and we're both huge movie buffs. I mean, that's, I moved out to California for that and I've always kind of had a sense of, I don't want to say like I gave up, but it's just like I'm disappointed that it didn't appeal to me in the way that I wanted, but I still love the movies. Mm. And we both like uh, films that fly under the radar. Mm. So we talked for 20 minutes about the plot and how things transacted and then uh, what we got out of it. We talk about a recipe and then how to cook something. Um, especially with either a flavored hunting or a, or a specialty single pollen that I may or may not have. Okay. And then, um, yeah, that's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a fun life, but I'll stress to your listeners that it didn't happen, um, overnight. These are small little changes that I've made in the past 11 years to get to this point. Yeah. I mean, I worked at the bank for a year after I started the, the hunting business. It, it takes a while to make these changes. Sure, sure. But it sounds like it was worthwhile. You've got an awesome an awesome thing going. It sounds like you got your personal life put together pretty well, a little bit of creativity and fun through the podcast, um, some travel that's tax deductible. How could you go wrong there? <laughs> um, what's the name of the podcast? I want to make sure I can tune in and we can put it in the show notes for you. Oh, uh, Critiqueopolis. Critique, Critique, Critiqueopolis. Okay. 
Got it. I'll make sure I go on your bio too so I spell that correct and put the actual link there. I'm excited to check that out. Sounds fun. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, the day-to-day is fun, but it, it, again, it took a while to get here. Yeah. Well, you've, you've uh, built an amazing business. It's been super. I could have asked you a million questions, like very stupid questions as to like the process of, of making honey and bees themselves. Like it's, it's fascinating. But one last question. Go ahead. What is your, I guess, involvement in, I don't know, I guess I don't know how to say this, the environmental aspect with bees, because it's all over with people that are advocating to make sure that they take care of the bees, save the bees, et cetera. What's your take on that? What's your thoughts? Do you do any advocacy for that based on your knowledge of bees? Well, I don't go out and do like talks or anything, but mm-hmm. like, um, each site that I operate is different. Um, commercially, we stay away from farms um, because farms have a lot of pesticides and fungicides. We, I only raise pure product. Um, we kind of do it out in the wild away from farms. Uh, so we have a pure Michigan product. In Hawaii, my managers out there, are, they're very, very, very stringent with um, raising um, non-modified fruits and non-modified flowers Mm. actually hawaii is probably the most stringent regulations for thanks for listening for more on this guest simply check the show notes like what you hear please subscribe review and share this podcast together we can grow and inspire